love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski, and I am here with the new swim course record holder at the St. George 70.3. Ramona is so excited about this. She is barking in the background, if you can hear that, because we just want, we are just so pumped to be talking or with our my co-host today. She has finished the race, gotten herself somewhere, and is ready to talk to me today. Give me all the details of the race. Haley Chura. Haley, congratulations. How are you feeling? Thank you. Alyssa, did you even forget? I think you forgot to introduce yourself, Alyssa Gadeski, my oh, yeah. co-host. But um, I that was such a nice intro, and I am living up this swim course record holder. I think <laughs> also, okay, uh, excuse my voice, first of all. Um, it, it might come across. Maybe it comes across even better. Maybe people like it. But um, the air in St. George, I just raised St. George 70.3, and the air in St. George is quite dry. And I live in a place, I mean, Bozeman isn't exactly humid, so I don't know why this happens, but I think when I'm running, I breathe so hard that I get this nice like rasp going for a couple of days, but I am, I am feeling tired, sore, dehydrated and happy. I'm a finisher. I haven't done, I haven't been an Ironman 70.3 finisher in a while. So I will take that honor, uh, you know, with everything it comes with. And Haley, so last week we were talking and I thought, you know, with training, I was like, I think I might be on a backlog and have to kind of watch the the race coverage after I did my training for the day. But things worked out. I was actually uh, getting a later start and waiting for it to warm up a little bit more before I went for a long ride. And so I got to catch the live coverage of the race, which was super exciting. And I got to see the swim and I was like you know, I think I was like washing dishes and it was just music to my ear as I hear like, and there's Haley Chura catching up, up. She's, oh, it appears she's catching some of the pro men already. <laughs> it was a good swim. I will say, okay, St. George, if anyone hasn't been to Sand Hollow Reservoir, so it is, it's going to be the host of the 70.3 World Championships this September, but it is a gorgeous lake reservoir. I mean, it's like you have these like red mountains around it. And then it's like this really pretty color of blue. I think it's spring fed. So it's very cold. I'm, but I love, love, love cold water. Like when people before the race were like, who are already out in St. George, were talking about these temperatures, like 59 degrees Fahrenheit, 60 degrees Fahrenheit. I was like, Oh yes. <laughs> Cause I love some cold water. And it ended up, I think being like 60, which I did not actually find cold at all. I was like so comfortable in that temperature. Like I was in a wetsuit. I was wearing the new QR wetsuit, which was, cut, it was actually my first race in that, the Quintana Roo wetsuit. And um, so it was felt like the perfect temperature. So I was just like happy. I, I don't know. And it was like, um, I also need to give a, like my pool in Bozeman is rather crowded. And so I get a lot of practice and sometimes there's no lane lines. And so I get a lot of practice sometimes like swimming around people. And I think that paid off as much as I hate it in the day to day. And I sometimes wish I could get my own lane and it never happens. Um, you know, if you end up uh, running into a group of pro men, sometimes it pays to have practiced swimming. Wait, so people. sometimes do you do workouts sometimes with no lane lines in the pool? 
Yeah, occasionally. If, Whoa. but yeah, I mean, usually I, well, okay, that's one reason I swim early in the morning because they put the lane lines in early in the morning. And so in the early in the morning, I'll go do, if I have a hard workout, I don't, I try to time it for that. But if you want to swim later in the day, there's no lane lines and the hours are a little hard. So it condenses everything. Yes. And so, Honestly, what that does is when there's no lane lines, it's a lot. Um, I worry about hurting people <laughs> because I, um, you know, I'm I'm a fairly sturdy person. I feel like, and sometimes I get going, but maybe it helps me work on my sighting. I don't know. And also, can I even say another another? This is like a travel vlog for Bozeman Swim Center in the negative way, but um, it is a 50 meter indoor pool. It's very nice, but some of the lanes you have to swim clockwise. Like, so normally oh. in the United States, you swim counterclockwise in a lane, not in Bozeman. Some of those lanes have, you have to swim clockwise. And I am someone who gets like, a reason or that's if, the rule that they if, made there. Well, sometimes when there's no lane lines, I guess then you don't have people going like opposite direction. Like everyone's going the same direction. Oh, okay. So you're like less likely to run head on into someone. So okay. it can, I can see. And also if everyone in the pool is doing freestyle, you won't hit hands. Right. When have you ever been in a pool where everyone was doing freestyle? Like, unless you're like swimming the 1500 free and that doesn't happen. People do breaststroke. A lot of people do breaststroke and you will get like kicked in the gut. And so it's like, you have to watch out. So anyway, on a normal day, if I am doing like a shakeout swim, like usually I'll end up swimming that like after a run. So I run in the morning, I do a shakeout and it's like, I get to practice some sighting, but you never know. Cause again, I'm running into a group of pro men and I was like, I will not hurt any of these men when I pass them because I'm really good at this. <laughs> so pro men, you're welcome. I didn't hurt any of you. <laughs> And maybe you just hurt their pride, but, um, watching the video, it was clear that you were clear that you were really good at that Haley. And it was, it's just fun to watch, um, you know, you swim and, you know, as a reminder to our listeners, this is Haley's first triathlon since I believe September, 2019, when you raced in the world championships, she has raced since then, at least in the, um, Olympic trials, qualifying marathon and Olympic trials marathon, um, in Atlanta in Yes. let's see, February of 2020. Right. So that was like technically your last big race, I believe. Correct me. Just jump in if I'm wrong. Yeah. But so it had been a while, especially for like, for you for multi-sport racing. And then you bang out this like course record setting swim. And I actually went back and I was like, let me see what Haley like normally. So, I mean, you're usually like far enough ahead of me that I'm not quite sure. Does she swim like a 20 normally, or does she swim like 23? Like where, like, how does this rank in the historical of Haley Chura swims? So I took a look back at some of your results and this like seemed to be, you know, like if I was just analyzing by the numbers, you have some outliers, like 20 minute swims where I'm guessing it was like current assisted, right. Or like there were some in China where again, it's like, you know, um, I think that Jean-Man I don't know. Is, there's current it's, assist. If okay. it was that it's, one, it's like okay. there was a current. Yeah. I've done a couple river swims. Yeah. That were quite so nice. I figured those were like the outliers. And then, I mean, Haley, this looks like one of your best swims since probably, you know, we were like 29 or 30, which is like exciting. Wow. So I didn't I even just, know that. Yeah. So <laughs> I think, um, you know, for everyone out there, I know I get questions a lot of like, how long are you going to keep doing this? And I always like laugh because I'm like, I just feel like you can always keep getting better. And like, um, there's always, yeah. So like, this is just like a shining star moment. I feel like in your career, Haley, and it's like oh, super, super exciting to see. Um, and then you got out of the water, you, got some good camera time in your smash fest queen kit. That was like so well coordinated with your helmet, your shoes, your bike. I loved it. And it was like some great shots of you on the bike, Haley. And then that was pretty much where I had to go. Um, 
out to do my, my workout for the day. So then I didn't catch up until the very end when anything had already happened, everything had happened. But I have an athlete, Haley, who, um, Josie, and a lot of times she'll ask, like, when you do a big event, what's your like pit and pearl of the, the day or the event, right? And so, um, I was like, this will be a good question for Haley. So can you give our listeners like your pit of the day and your pearl of the day? We do pit first. Um, <laughs> that pit, there's a lot. To, okay. Per, I'm going to do pearl first because that's the easy one. The okay. swim. The swim yeah. was a pearl. Um, that was definitely, I mean, my swim has felt good. And I will say, I mean, maybe this is kind of one of those things with like, I know people have come out of the pandemic and they're like very unsure about their swim. They had, I mean, my pool was closed for a while and um, I was definitely like, unsure with my swim, but I have had some good swim workouts in recent months where I was like, Oh man, even with like restrictions that are in place and that kind of thing, like making the most of what you have, um, can pay off on the day. And so I think that was like a good lesson. And then, and, and being able to lead a race, I was not expecting to have a gap like that. And so when I came out and I was like, ah, I got a gap, this is nice. Um, you know, I'll take it. And like, I was like, yeah, my like few miles of fame before Daniela came by me. Um, it was, you know, I don't take that for granted because it's not like that. Yeah, it was, again, I can't believe I'm 35 years old and I can still swim like that. I'm like, oh, this is great. Um, and then uh, as a pit, hmm, I mean, I, I struggled. I will say I struggled on the bike and the run. And, you know, it has been 18 months or however many months since I've raced a triathlon. And so things weren't quite clicking. I mean, but there was nothing like terrible that happened. I don't know. You know, I my bike worked great. Um you know, I, I, I got so many cheers on my outfit, smash Fest queen. Thank you. I got that in the mail, like right before. And so that was actually, I think that might've been the first time I wore it was on race day. And I mean, I've worn other smash Fest queen kits, so it wasn't quite a like faux pas, no, th nothing new on race day, but it was, I mean, it's always fun to get like cheers like that where you're like, yeah, I do look good. <laughs> but, um, um, I mean, maybe like the very first miles of the run felt a little rusty, and I was like, oh my goodness, can I make it 13 miles? But I will say one of the nice things about endurance racing is that things can get better. And the first couple of miles of the St. George course are uphill and, you know, they don't feel good. And then honestly, but once we got like up there, I started feeling better. And so maybe that's also, I'm throwing in another pearl, but like just kind of coming through and feeling better later in the run um, was you know, it's a nice reminder of how racing happens, you know, and also just like, sometimes you feel like you're doing really not well, but you might be doing better than you think. Um, which is also the case when you kind of, when you get to lead the swim and then you get to watch everyone go by you. I mean, maybe that's a pearl. Maybe that's a pit. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it depends as a race fan. It's a pearl. Wow. I get to see Daniela Reef up close as a, as a, as a, athlete. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I can't even stay with her for like three seconds, <laughs> but you know, yeah, you take what you can, but I'll, I need to tell you one other story, Alyssa. Okay. How we, when we lined up for the swim start, I like, they call out, you know, the first 10 people that were ranked and and it was also funny because they're like listing accolades and when they list Daniela reef, Daniela reef one, if anyone is not aware. And if you don't know who that is, like you will in a second, but, um, so listing out her accolades and it's like, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, world champion. <laughs> like, it was just like, what? Like, it sounds like, it sounds like a joke. Like how many races she's won. And, but anyway, I lined up, then the rest of us kind of just got to line up, however. And so I was lined up right behind Daniela, right behind her. And I was like, I was like, should I ask her to come on the podcast? <laughs> like, I 
was like, here's my chance. I am I right behind like I'm tapping on your shoulders now and like, yeah, so don't tap on my feet in the water, but also <laughs> like, Hey, um, I didn't do it. I thought about it. Um, for all of our listeners, we have tried. She's a very, very busy woman. She's busy winning world championships. Um, you know, maybe someday, but I was, I was like, you know, or I was going to be like, Hey, I'll let you swim on my feet if you'll come on the podcast. But like, obviously she doesn't need any domestique help. She won um, another race and, you know, it's fun watching her race, but I didn't quite do it. Sorry, Alyssa. But I was like, I was like, is this unprofessional or not? Like it, maybe if there had been, it's only like two minutes to the start, which is kind of close. If there had been like more time, I might've like struck up a conversation and been like, Hey, I have this podcast. (laughs) Well, if anyone sees her at Ironman Tulsa, just, you know, feel free to go up and, you know, if you're asking for her autograph or something, just also feel to drop in, feel free to drop in that you would love to hear her on the Iron Women podcast. So you can do that for us. That's our ask of our listeners this week. Um, (laughs) That's why you can cheer for her. Tell me I look great and tell her, hey, go on Iron Women. And Haley, I do, um, I have a question for you. So this is also, I'm combining as a mailbag question. So we got a mailbag question that came in from Emily and she was curious about the, um, the, like the slot allocation. And she wanted to know if we had any insight because like Ironman races in Europe are getting canceled, like pretty frequently are getting like pushed further into the fall. Um, you know, things everywhere are pretty up in the air for 70.3 and Ironman distances, but like spots to the world championships right still exist where are they going do we know anything and emily i guess i mean you know first off i'll say i don't think Haley and i are going to anything we say take with a grain of salt we'll say that much um but we'll give you you know like Haley, do you have any insight into how this is working after being at a race now how did it work at saint george Okay, well, I'm assuming Emily's asking for the age groupers, and I have a little insight in that. But I will say, I I finished 13th, um, you know, which um, I'll take. You know, that was it. But I got a roll down slot for pro roll down slot for the 70.3 worlds, and I took it. So you might, which again, I will like add. um, It is it is fascinating, even to me, even now, how quickly I forget the misery of like how hard that course was. Where I'm like during the day, I'm like never again, never again, you know, on that bike when you're going up to those hills. And then like four hours later, like get a chance to race it again. I'm like, yes, sign me <laughs> up. <laughs> what Take is my money? <laughs> but, um, okay. So I think there were four slots for the women pros and some people had already qualified. Right. And so it rolled all the way to 13th at least. Um, so that gives a little bit of insight. Um, I think for the pro so, or what I heard for the age groupers, and this is for 70.3 worlds, I heard there were 250 slots for the 70.3 worlds in St. George. And again, like you're racing on the course. So that isn't like totally unusual that they give more slots to like that race. If it's going to be on that course, the world championship will be on that course also because it was such a big race. And so, but obviously there is a concentration of slots that they like because of the pandemic, because the world championship changed from New Zealand to Utah, which is quite a different geography. Um, you know, it's, I, they, obviously there is, there is some slots for that. And I do believe they, you know, I've, I heard of some women's age groups having 20 slots and this is for 70.3 worlds, which again, also is a bigger race. So going into Kona, um, you know, for Emily's question, my guess is Iron Man. Again, I don't work for Iron Man. Alyssa doesn't work for Iron Man, but they are aware. They are aware that like not as many races are happening. And 
and you know, some of these races in Europe aren't happening and they had allocated slots to them. So I imagine as they cancel races or change or postpone or put them in the fall. So after Kona, they are taking into consideration those slots and they are not afraid to move them to another race. So you think about St. George, like 250 is a lot of slots. Like I think normally it'd be like 80, right? And so that's a lot. And so obviously that those slots were taken from other 70.3s that normally would have slots. So I imagine the same thing will be happening with, with Ironman distance races. I know it's, it's terrible to not know and be able to plan and think about that as you're going into races. But I would say everyone is in a very similar situation. No one knows for sure. I would guess that even the people who work at Ironman don't know for sure. They are just trying to react to situations around the world as they happen and do the best they can. So, you know, cross my fingers for you, Emily, that, you know, something works out for you, but it is, it is hard. And hopefully in the future, things are a little bit more transparent and what we're used to. Yeah, but Emily, thanks for that question. And anyone else listening, if you have a question for our mailbag, you can send it into ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Haley, one other question for you. I heard rumors like from, you know, an athlete I had that was racing and like all these things. I'm like, what's the forecast? I heard it was going to be like 95 degrees surface of the sun type of racing in St. George. What was the, you know, did you plan anything different given that forecast? How did it end up? Like, did you, we talked to Heather Jackson last week. She had some really good hot weather racing tips. Like, did you, you know, try anything you haven't before? How did it, how to go for you out there? Yeah. So I was a little bit nervous when I saw that forecast because I was coming from Montana where it was like, uh, it has barely been above 40 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, this year. So it's even jumping, yeah, jumping to 90 is a big, big jump. And the days before, I will admit, when I first got off the plane in St. George, I was like, oh no. And in past years, in past races, I, I would have done like maybe a hot tub or a sauna protocol, you know, that kind of thing to prep for the heat. But leading into this race, I don't, our listeners remember, like I got vaccinated and just all that. And I was not going to throw additional stress on my body like that because doing any kind of heat acclimatization at home before a race is really hard. I mean, Heather talked about that. Like you have to think of it as an extra workout. And then when you're also like getting vaccinated and you know, your immune system's taking a hit like that, like, again, you don't want to overdo things, especially when you haven't raced in 18 months, you know, it's like, it's one of those things where I was like, okay, like what is the most important thing here? Vaccination. And so I will deal with the heat. So I had went in with no heat acclimatization. So what I was, my first thought, you know, it was when I got off the plane, it was like hydration, you know, just making sure I'm like going into the race, setting myself up as well as possible going into the race. And, um, you know, thankfully I'm sponsored. The podcast is sponsored by noon hydration. So I had lots of options and, you know, I'm someone, you know, I have my, and luckily my flights weren't that long, but I mean, even then it's like making sure you have water on the planes. And then when you get off, like immediately going and getting water, you know, and getting, and then I'll putting noon in it. And, um, I did for pre-race, I did use, I use, I mean, I use basically the entire line of noon hydration products. I think I use the prime for race morning, you know, as I was like, waiting for the start, you know, just sipping on that. And then during the race, I use noon endurance. Um, I use the mango flavor for this one. I don't know if that's, I don't know if flavors are important for people, but sometimes they are. Um, and post-race, I, I like the recovery. I'll use the noon recovery cause it's like has some of those branch chain amino acids and, you know, just a lot of electrolyte replacement and also, um, the noon instant, which is just kind of like a big, you know, a bigger dose of electrolytes and, 
you know, I think sometimes also if you make things taste good, <laughs> you're more likely to drink it, um, especially like afterwards and before. And so that's a nice thing about like different flavors and that putting like rather than drinking straight water, um, making it taste good. So I was, you know, I do the sport tabs. <laughs> I basically used it all. So thank you, Noon Hydration. Um, because, and I will say during the race, like St. George is a very, it's a, you know, racing a North American Ironman race, they're well stocked. They did a really good job. I mean, the aid stations were a little bit different because they're self-service. You know, it's not a volunteer handing you water, but it is, um, you know, they set them out on, on tables and you can grab it, which I might, my marathoning kind of paid off there. Cause that's how a lot of like the trials were, you had your bottle, it was sitting on a table and you had to grab it. So I was like, I'm prepared for this. So, um, you know, it was, it was a well-stocked aid station. Cause I considered running with a bottle, which I have done that before in, in a, hot races. Like if I, sometimes, sometimes you can't make it a mile between aid stations and I need something. So I have done that. I did not in St. George just because I have raced there before. I knew that the aid stations would be well stocked, but I will say like, I will slow down through an aid station and get water to like throw on my head or, you know, grab whatever I need on the course, because I think that it can be worth slowing down for 10 seconds rather than, you know, overheating and losing minutes. So, um, that was a long answer to a fairly straightforward question. No, I agree with everything you said. I think it sounds like a good strategy. And if our listeners want to incorporate the noon hydration entire product line into their own, you know, lifestyles for training and racing as Haley clearly does, um, head to noonlife.com for 30% off with the code live feisty with a capital L and a capital F. Um, and you can check out the podium series and, um, all of the other noon sport, noon instant, everything else that you need to handle hot races and everything in between. So, um, Haley, do you have anything else to add about your race or are we, are we ready for the interview we have for people today? I know I'm trying to think, I mean, just congratulations to the, to the women who race. I don't know if we said like the podium was oh, that's true. Daniela Reef, Jeannie Seymour, Emma Pallant were the podium. I mean, just fantastic performances. And I mean, we've, you know, we've had Jeannie and, and, um, Emma on the podcast before, you know, years ago. And it's just, it's, it was fun to watch, you know, these women race so well, again, coming out of a pandemic, everyone's in a different spot, you know, and that's kind of an interesting thing too. I mean, it's like, it's, it, you know, it's, it, I think that for people who maybe were there and didn't have their spectacular day, maybe had a day more like me, um, where it's just like, okay, the bike and run just didn't quite click, but, um, we take, you know, the good takeaways and I think that you have some grace with yourself that it's been a while and things are a little rusty. I will also add Alyssa, I had forgotten like what it's like to travel with so much gear <laughs> and also the shame I got from the airport people. I'm like, when Ugh. you're checking in the bags and they're like, you have so much stuff. And I want to be like, well, show me how you do an Ironman. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, show me how to do this with, with less stuff. I'm like, anyway, but, um, yeah, but I'm like, okay. So if anyone is feeling that I was there with you, I get it too, but it's, you know, but also the pride I have for myself. Like, I think that I'm, I was thinking, you know, earlier today, I'm just like, I'm really proud of myself for like how I'm able to get all this stuff together, get myself to like another state, you know, in a pandemic, like staying safe, like, you know, which I will give Ironman some props. Like the race felt, you know, they had masks for us. They had, you know, it's felt the temperature checks. Like it just, it felt very safe at the race site. Um, and so, you know, Ironman, I think did a very good job with that, but it was, you know, 
when you're out of practice with packing a bike and just unpacking a bike and realizing how hard it is, it's hard. And so I just give props to everyone who raced and like, who, especially those who haven't in a while, like it's, it's a hard sport, but then it is worth it. The feeling you get afterwards. I'd also forgotten that where I'm like the feeling of accomplishment afterwards for all of it, for like packing the bike, for getting my, all my stuff checked in at the airport, paying all the fees, whatever. Um, you know, pat myself on the back for that. So, and everyone as well. Well, congratulations on your swim course record, 13th place, spot to world championship, 70.3. We, uh, you know, it feels like the the season's kind of coming together here, so we don't want to jinx anything, but, um, you know, it was really exciting to, to be able to see the broadcast and to get, uh, you know, I had, I definitely had that spark in me. That's like, okay, I think I'm, I'm ready to be out there with people again too. So and looking shout, forward to more. Shout out to Dee Dee Griesbauer for great commentating. Yes. I heard so many comments afterwards where people just love Dee Dee's commentating. So Dee Dee, another podcast guest and pro athlete, pro and um and one of we're fans of of your racing and your commentating. And everyone, we do have a great interview for you coming today. A little bit of background for folks as we are switching gears with sports. And we are going to be talking to a big mountain climber today, Aaron Parisi. Aaron is en route to climbing the seven summits, which is climbing each of the tallest mountains on the seven continents. The seven summits was first completed in 1985, and it has been repeated fewer than 500 times since. While about 80% of finishers are male and 20% are female, it has yet to be finished by an openly transgender person. Aaron is hoping to be the first. We talked to Erin about all of the things from recent legislation surrounding transgender athletes to her training tips and tricks. So we'll hear from Erin after a word from our sponsors. The Iron Women podcast wants to give a huge shout out to Orca Sportswear for their continued support in 2021. As someone who isn't a natural born swimmer, my choices for swim gear are super important. Orca has me ready to battle for every second I need in the water with the open water, triathlon, and swim run wetsuits. They also have safety buoys, goggles, cold water caps, and booties. You name it, they have it. The code IRONWOMEN15 will get you 15% off, so head to orca.com today and let's get ready to swim in 2021. The Iron Women podcast is grateful to Zelio Skincare for their continued support of the podcast. I'm always excited when I start pulling out the Zelio Sun Barrier more and more because that's a sure sign races are around the corner. And I'm going to be happier than ever using my Zelio's Race Relief Cold Therapy Muscle Gel because it means I actually got to do an in-person race this year. You can get your own Zelio Sun Barrier Race Relief Shower Products and Chamois Cream for 15% off with the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com. Hi, Aaron. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So our listeners are no strangers to the world of COVID cancellations and interrupted adventures. And as someone who is on a journey to the seven summits, you probably had a heck of a time on the pandemic roller coaster yourself. So I believe that going into 2020, you had four summits complete and you were planning for Denali next. So can you tell us about what 2020 ended up being like for you? Did I, did I get that correct? Yeah, that's exactly correct. I did, I did four of the seven summits in a year in 2019, 2018, 2019. And then I was ready to do Denali in 2020. Um, and that they, 
canceled the whole permitting season. So we uh, weren't able to climb in 2020 because the, the National Park Service didn't release any passes or, or permits. So it kind of ended our plans there. And so what you originally, oh, oh sorry, I was just curious if you're originally trying to go for like a, like do it all as fast as possible. No, um, I wish I, I, you know, from a visibility standpoint, it'd be nice to be done, but I, you know, I'm just doing it as, as I can, um, and kind of with my day job and all that stuff, I'm pretty limited as to how much time I can dedicate to this. And so what's that process like? So you hear that the, you know, it's canceled. Did you at that point, were you able to kind of put in an app, like, like how far in advance are the permits given, you know, for kind of your next hopeful window for Denali? Uh, on Denali, I think you've got to, got to apply uh, 90 days in advance with the National Park Service unless you've climbed it before. And then I think that shortens the window to 30 days. I was on the 90 days because I had never climbed it before. Um, and the regular climbing season is usually between like May and June based on, you know, kind of when the storms are in the summer and, and when kind of the, the ice changes during the course of the, as it gets warmer and, um, you know, it's too cold in the winter. So you really have that two month climbing window and then you have to apply for the permit three months before that. So, um, happily I, I am on a 2021 expedition, but, um, I was not on any expeditions last year. I kind of stayed home and trained, did a lot of running and trained on my own. And Aaron, in 2018, I believe you or you had completed two of the seven summits. And at that time, or maybe it was right before you started, but you founded a nonprofit called Transcending. And the stated mis mission of Transcending is the advancement of transgender rights through all aspects of society by promoting athletics as a platform of transgender awareness and inclusion. Why do you think sports and athletics are important for inclusion? Well, I think there's a history of people being kept out of the larger society based on inclusion in sports. You know, there are a number of societies around the world that still keep women out of sports. You know, in the United States, we had sports that were segregated forever, and it really served one purpose, um, and it was to, it really kept people socially isolated and socially kind of kept down. So I, I think that in my case, I'm promoting outdoor sports as an avenue for growth um, for, for trans folks, because I know that the benefits of being outdoors and the benefits of, you know, kind of the friendships that you build and all the skills that you build as far as leadership go are transferable across life. Um, and certainly, I think right now, more than ever, you see, you know, 28 states, over 100 laws being proposed that are designed to keep trans kids basically suppressed. And I think the idea is if you suppress kids, you know, then you've kind of suppressed, the, you know, a, a human being and an adult later on in life. So I think right now what I'm trying to do is really raise awareness and show that, you know, beyond, you know, everybody has these ideas that, um, you know, everyone's going to go out and they're really in this thing to win and they're going out to be pros. But really what we, we come to sports for are personal growth and, and interpersonal growth. And, um, you know, I don't want to see that denied anybody. I think that's a universal right. And we definitely have some questions about, you know, your take on some of those bills and some of that activism mm -hmm. side of things. But I wanted to ask first, before we get into that is, did you, do you feel like your climbing changed when you became when someone who climbed for yourself to someone who climbed as an activist and climbed for a cause? Um, yeah, you know, I always say that an athlete's strongest muscle is their heart. I mean, it's really your heart that keeps you in it so much. And, um, you know, for me, 
before it was hard to invest my whole mind and heart and soul into athletics because I was so distracted. Now, you know, the one thing that I have is the ability to focus and to, to, to look at this um, mission of climbing the highest point on every continent from a standpoint that, you know, I took for granted before. I didn't have this opportunity to be myself and do this before. And it was really something I never thought I'd be able to do. And here I am. And you mentioned the state legislation. And I, I read a recently a quote from the Human Rights Campaign that there are more than 55 anti-transgender legislation bills that have been discussed across 30 states in the country. And and like you mentioned, many of these bills are framed as quote unquote, save women's sports acts. So are you following the state legislation debates or is it kind of like, I just need to like check out? It's hard. Um, I know that I carry the weight of those discussions and I'm not in, you know, I'm, I'm not a competitive high school or you know, some of these sport, these athletic, these bills are aimed at five-year-olds. You know, we had co-ed sports all along and now they're aiming these bills at five-year-olds. So, um, you know, it, this, these, this is a hard debate for the families that have kids who are gender non-conforming or trans. And these are hard debates for anybody who's ever been in that kind of that, this, that, that, um, that's the word I'm looking for, um, that demographic as well. You know, for me, even being, you know, in my mid forties and an athlete, those discussions are hard to take. So I'm, I am paying attention for sure. And I'm trying to really have a positive effect on the debate just by spreading up one positive story through um, athletics and sports. I think the world really needs positive trans um, narratives to kind of bridge the gap between what the hopes and dreams of trans people are and what's being sold through these bills. And I, I live in Montana and we currently do have two anti-trans bills working their way through our state legislature. And as someone who I feel like, you know, a lot of my life has been shaped by sports and specifically women's sports. And I have actually competed against at least one openly transgender woman. And so I had very strong feelings about Montana's, you know, quote unquote, save women's sports act. And so I actually took the time. I wrote to my representatives telling them I was strongly opposed to the bill. I watched the committee debate and I mean, parts of it were terrible to watch, but parts of it were really hopeful. I mean, I think there were at least three times as many people testifying in opposition to the bill. I mean, and these were doctors and just highly educated, you know, parents, trans athletes. I mean, it was, it was really incredible, but despite overwhelming opposition, the lawmakers voted for it. So do you, I mean, do you feel like there's a best course of action in stopping these bills? Is it writing to our representatives? Is it supporting boycotts in states like Arkansas that have passed and signed into law anti-trans bills? Or is it just like supporting pro-LGBTQ plus federal legislation that would hopefully override, you know, the discriminatory state laws? It's it's going to be a combination of all those things. And I think when all of that possibly fails and we know it as a course of action, civil rights, we, we don't necessarily always have a great civil rights history as far as legislation goes in the United States. Um, I think the what's right will ultimately win. Um, I don't know how long that's going to take. So, yeah, I think that, you know, talking to your state representatives is is a good thing. You know, I think Montana was a great example of of a place where you actually had a trans woman run in a race. I think she was University of Montana and she came in, I, I think she was trying to um, 
and it was NCAA. And I think she came, what she was, she came in like 153rd out of 300 runners. Um, and that was it. She got the joy of participating and, and no one, she, she was right in the middle of the pack. Um, what people want you to believe is that trans athletes are, you know, going to dominate women's sports and that, you know, women are inferior to men unless they're protected by the legislature and all these people that are putting these laws in place. And the truth is most of the time, there's no trans athletes that are in those states that are being affected. They're just passing laws against some hypothetical athlete. And the times that we actually have seen trans athletes compete, that there hasn't been a, a noticed advantage. That being said, I think that the facts need to be brought to state legislatures, but certainly, like you said, if if the Equality Act um, doesn't pass and we're not able to kind of find inclusion through that avenue, then um, I think there's going to be a lot of litigation along the way. And um, unfortunately, I, I don't think that the NCAA or any of those other big organizations should take their power lightly and boycotting areas that pass these laws. But ultimately, um, the charters of the NCAA and the OIC and a lot of other athletic boards say that trans people deserve the right to compete. And if they want to kind of put some teeth on that, then maybe it is time to see some boycotts in some of those areas. Um, so it's it's worth to it's worth it to keep speaking up even if it feels like you're not being heard. Yeah, I think that that's the the way it goes. Even if it feels futile, um, we're all better when everybody can compete. Right, and and I guess voting we can always vote. vote <laughs> voting does help. So I do want to ask you know about you mentioned you know the Equality Act and then also just like the federal legislation. I mean, just after he took office, President Biden did issue an executive order that did state children should be able to learn without worrying about whether they'll be denied access to the restroom, the locker room, or school sports. And I know some prominent women professional athletes who took this as the end of women's sports. And you, you know, you mentioned the NCAA IOC guidelines that are already in place, and you actually choose to climb under the IOC guidelines for transgender athletes. So can you tell us about those guidelines and why you choose to follow them, even though mountaineering doesn't necessarily fall under a you know international Olympic Committee jurisdiction. Right. You know, I think it's important. Um, you know, at a lot of the levels, this discussion doesn't need to take place. Like I said, some of these these places have taken the right to compete away from five year olds, six year olds, seven year olds who have never even gone through puberty or anything else. So. You know, it was co-ed before, and now all of a sudden you've got a law that says trans kids aren't allowed there. And that's that's just not right. That just shows the bias against trans people. I'm doing it, I'm I'm doing my peaks under the IOC guidelines kind of because I didn't know what it would be like in transitioning. I know as an, a lifelong you know mountain athlete and outdoor athlete what my body was capable of. Um and I didn't know how that would change. Um, I think it's important um, for me to, to be able to say that I did it under the guidelines. I know that some people, I've, I've gotten a lot of people to tell me or that, that write me and say, you, it shouldn't matter. Um, you know, people should be able to compete no matter what. But for me, it's important just because um, I'm sure that a trans person has climbed Everest. I'm sure that a trans person has climbed um, in, our, in our Antarctica. And there's been 500 people that have finished the um, seven summits and 1% of the population is trans in the world. So I really could expect at least five people have finished the seven summits who are trans. No one's ever been known to do it who was trans. So that whoever did it 
wasn't known, they were hiding, or they just chose not to be known. And that's fine. But for me, I think it was important to kind of shine the light on the fact that there are ways for trans people to be included in sports, that there are organizations that have gone through the numbers and looked at the math and the, the science behind it, figured it out, and aired, you know, they, they looked at it from, from sports as a human rights aspect rather than an exclusion aspect. And um, I wanted to kind of shed, shed some light on that it's possible to do these things and still be all inclusive and and make it work. So Aaron, I here we are. Yeah. <laughs> I recently listened to a podcast um with author Tori Peter. And she wrote Detransition Baby, the book. Um, and she spoke about how she writes for trans people in the same way that Toni Morrison said she wrote for black people, meaning that she writes at full speed and she doesn't slow down or dumb things down for cis people to, quote, catch up with what she is talking about. So, you know, I was thinking about this and I imagine that where you are as a trans woman in mountaineering, you are definitely having to slow down for a lot of us cis people as you share your journey. <laughs> And, you know, is that something that you thought about as you created Transcending 7 and you opted to put all of this in the public eye? And I'm just curious, like, does that affect you? And maybe the word I'm actually looking to ask you is, does that exhaust you? It's exhaustive. Um, visibility is exhaustive. And I would say that at least once a week, you know, I, the discussion between my, myself and my partner is, you know, this is hard. Being visible is hard. I tell people all the time, really what I want to do is not be seen. <laughs> um, but what the world needs now is positive, visible trans narratives. As far as slowing down, I, I don't know. Um, I would like to slow down, I think not for everybody else, but maybe for myself. Um, but again, kind of doing what I can, you know, I, there was, there was, no examples of people i didn't there were no examples of people doing this or anything positive when i was growing up who were trans um that narrative needs to be told and and to this day there's not a lot of great narratives in the public eye that are trans related so um i, I i'm learning this i think a lot with with everyone that's around me so um, and You've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, the highest point on the African continent, twice. First while presenting as a man and second while presenting as a woman. And you said the experience was different. So can you tell us about that difference? Yeah, that's hard. Um, the differences that you get from a gender equality standpoint, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely hard to put your finger on because it's kind of always there and it's kind of... You can, you can almost not know if you've been, if you've only been on one side of the equation or not. Um, I know that when I climbed Kilimanjaro the first time, um, everything seemed to work so smoothly. Everything kind of went off without a hitch. Uh, all the, you know, everything was put together and, and right. And, and when things weren't, I was definitely part of the decision-making process and was asked and told what was going on all the time. The second time I went to Africa, I went there as a single female traveler and never came out at all because Tanzania has laws against, um, you know, LGBT, um, you know, kind of in general. So the community in general. So I thought the safest way to go, especially traveling as a single female was to not be out as a traveler. Um, so I stayed in, in, in the closet and basically, um, you know, it was it was weird because nothing was ready to go when I got there. And I think that might have just been a series of unfortunate events. But as we tried to put the trip together, it was hard to be, you know, I was never really included 
at the table in the decision making. I was kind of left in the car and things would come together and then I'd get told what went on, but it was always kind of the guys getting together and it was, you know, I wasn't kind of allowed to have the conversation. Um, there were times when I specifically asked for things, whether it be like the route or my diet or things like that, where it was just completely kind of disregarded. You know, it wasn't really viewed. At, it, there was no follow through on uh, things that I had asked to be done. And and I just kind of had to live with it. So, you know, it was these things where you're constantly asking yourself, why am I having to advocate for myself in this situation? And when I do, why am I getting ignored? So you know, I don't know if it was just the people that I was working with. I, I had climbed it with the same group the first time and the second time. So you'd think I had removed that particular um, variable, but you're just, you're, you're facing kind of the inequity of the difference between how men are treated and how women are treated, um, you know, in, in different places and in different cultures. And so climbing the seven summits does require you to go to places like Tanzania or the Chechnya region of Russia, which are known for their intolerance and perse persecution of queer and trans people. But it sounds like that's, you know, goes hand in hand with probably the kind of underlying or casual sexism that women everywhere just encounter for existing and, you know, is is no different, as you're saying, kind of as a as a mountaineer. So how does the fear for your safety in that sense compare to any fears that you have in conquering the climb itself? And like, do you kind of compartmentalize those at different times? And, you know, how do those kind of go together? Yeah, it's definitely hard. You know, when I first started this, I, I almost wanted the world to see what it was like for me to go through transition. So I started pretty early on and I faced violence in my own neighborhood for being trans. I got identified while I was out one night with my dog and I got surrounded and completely assaulted for it. I I was on my way to Kilimanjaro the next week. Um, that was probably the hardest thing I had to deal with. And I had already trained for the mountain and I had already worked on the skills that I needed. And I already gone through all of my technical layers and all of those things that I need to know to be a, an effective climber on that mountain. When you get to a country or when I can't even go from my house to a restaurant without facing some sort of abuse, it's a totally different type of of danger that I don't know necessarily that I can protect myself from. Um, in Russia, you know, the, the guide was extraordinarily, um, you know, chauvinistic and didn't really view the female climbers in our group as equal. He made multiple comments that let us know that the female climbers weren't viewed as equals, um, even though all of us got to the top and the only person we lost along the way was a male climber. Um, but still, we weren't viewed equally. And, you know, I would like to think that we all should have a fair chance to make it from the base of the mountain to the top of the mountain and face the conditions that the mountain throws at us. But of course, along the way, we, we face a lot of barriers to um, whether it be in the training environment we engage or um, in kind of the, the casual other problems that come along with with the sport itself. And that makes the climb a little bit harder. So yeah, it's hard to, I mean, I definitely compartmentalize all the different aspects, but you can't prepare for some of the violence that I could face at the same time. I guess I got to focus on the, the things I can control, which is the, the danger that I could face on the mountain. And so just to recap, you have climbed for the seven summits. You've already stood on the highest points of Africa, Australia, Europe, and South America. So your three remaining summits are Denali in North America, Vincent Massif in Antarctica and Mount Everest in Asia. So of the summits you have remaining, is there one that you're most excited for? 
I'm excited to, do, to climb right here in North America. This is my home. This is my home mountain. So um, it's in Alaska. I think it comes at a, a super opportune time in the you know in the United not opportune time, but a, a very pivotal time in in um, American history for trans people. I hope people look and and understand kind of the aspirations of a climber and what it means to be included on a on a rope team. Um, of course, Everest is huge too. No trans person has stood on the top of Everest that we know of, of the 5,000 climbers that have, that have made it to the top. So um, to have that trans flag high above the world um, and, and just be loud and proud on top of the mountains and not going to hide from the highest point on earth is, is super important to me as well. Is there anything that you're worried about and in the climbing aspect? Um, I, I mean, is there like travel logistics or the really cold of everywhere. I guess all, th all three of those are really cold. <laughs> I was going to say Antarctica, but I bet like the top of Everest can't be balmy. <laughs> I think at this point, they're all kind of the same. Um, you know, they're, they say Everest and Denali are equally as physically rigorous. Um, I've never been to Antarctica, so I can only imagine what kind of conditions I'll will face there. Antarctica is a little bit scary because you're so far away from any sort of emergency rescue or anything. So you really become so self-sufficient as a climbing pod. You really have to trust and know the people you're climbing with and know that, you know, you kind of all have each other's back and you're all in it, not for the, the climb itself, but for the health of the, the community and the, um, the climbing team. Um, you know, there's, there's different reasons to, to fear all of them and there's different, I think, success in all of them. Westward is a Denver publication, and in that profile they did of you, they said, um, or you had a quote, and that was, you can do two things in the mountains, which are really cool. You can escape and let your thoughts run, and you can build friendships that are bigger than friendships. So I'm curious if maybe you could tell us a little bit about a friendship that formed in the mountains for you that's been particularly special. Um. I think the biggest one that, you know, I kind of always go back to, and Meryl talked about when we did a film together last year, is with my aunt. Um, she was, she moved out to the West in the Rocky Mountains and kind of learned to do all the outdoor sports um, in the 70s. And, and she had, was coming out of the closet at the time as well, at, at, at that point in the 70s, which was, I think, pretty hard. Um, given the challenges and, and where we were back then. And, um, but she, you know, she kind of did her own thing and moved into New Mac, you know, new, moved to New Mexico and, and just grew. And then, but when I got into college, um, you know, I took to her cause she was just this, this badass woman that was kind of out in the back country and skiing and, um, you know, spending her, all of her spare time skiing. And our, even though I wasn't out of the closet yet at all, um, our relationship kind of grew and grew and grew from that point. And then, you know, I came out to her on coming out day, I think five or six years ago. And, and I kind of had a chance to say, thank you for what you gave me in the outdoors. I've been using it and I'm going to, I think I want to really engage it going forward as a, as a tool to make social change. And, um, and, you know, she had taught me all of these skills and kind of signed me up for my first avalanche class and signed me up for my first skills class in Durango and, you know, mountain climbing skills class in Durango and got me my wilderness first responder, really coached me to get my, my wilderness first responder. And um, she had such a big part of it, but also just unabashedly being herself in the mountains. So um, she taught me all those things and then she taught me just to be yourself. So um, it's been a great friendship. Erin, we've read that your training includes, you know, actually a lot of things that 
us triathletes might do regularly. You go hiking, you cycle, you climb stairs. Um, I think you might even drop into the occasional Orange Theory class. So it's not always in remote remote locations. Some of these things are things that you know some of us could do every day. So what would you tell someone who you know might have some base fitness right now? They're a triathlete. Um, they want to get into climbing mountaineering, maybe not quite seven summits, maybe like something a little closer to home, but like, how, how do you know when you're ready? I think you go out and pick a safe objective where, you know, you're not going to get into too much trouble maybe and, and go test your legs going uphill. I, you know, I think that the biggest thing with transferring your skills is for me, you're right. I, you know, I drop into orange theory. If that's all I've got, I get on the cycling trainer or the treadmill. If that's all I've got, I hate the treadmill, but we all have to do it. Right. Um, but I think that when we, we get the most benefit is when we're doing the activity we want to do. So I would say, get out on the trail. That's close to home. Um, find people that are interested in it. If you're a triathlete, I think a lot of people are starting to look towards trail running and then they're starting to look at the bigger objectives and, um, yeah, just I, I think the best way to learn is to, is experiential. Just go out and, and, you know, get your feet wet. And you mentioned this earlier, but Meryl did release the movie Transcending, which was a wonderful short movie profile into your journey. And we definitely want to give credit where credit is due. So can you talk about Meryl, any other sponsors that you have that have supported you through this journey and are supporting transgender awareness and inclusion? Yeah, my biggest sponsors uh, at this point are Meryl, who did the film and that the awareness around that. And I've gotten messages from from parents of trans kids that have said thank you for doing that. They, just putting the narrative into film form was huge. So Meryl did that. Um, I have support from REI. Um, they have been great to work with, and I've got support now. I'm a um, an ambassador for Mammoth. Um, it's a big mountaineering brand. So. So I'm, those are my three, three big supporters and, you know, nobody kind of gets me all the way there. It's really my biggest supporters are the people I know that um, have, have supported me just in little small increments. And okay. We're recording this sort of mid April and I know you have a timeline coming up. Like, can you, can you tell us about what, what is coming up in the next couple of weeks for you? Yeah, for sure. You might be breaking the news here. I think, um, we, we wanted to climb Everest this year, but with COVID still the way it was, we didn't think it was it was good to add any sort of tra um, traffic to the international base camp that is Everest. So um, we stayed local here in the United States. And I think um, sometime in early May, well, I know sometime in early May, I'll be on Denali. Um, and then six months after that, we'll um, be climbing down in Antarctica, trying to climb Vincent's Massive. So you heard it here first. And how can we support you in this effort? Is there anything we can do? I think there is a, you know, you have a website, you run a nonprofit. Is donating the best way to help you? I know these trips cannot be cheap. <laughs> yeah, I think donating to the nonprofit is important. We're trying to do more with the nonprofit. We're doing a lot more than just supporting these climbs. At this point, we're trying to support, um, you know, outdoor climbing events for, for LGBT folks. Um, we're looking at sponsoring some trans inclusion in day camps and stuff now that some sports opportunities have gotten taken away from kids. We're really trying to find kids in those spaces and sports camps outside of those places where they can safely be themselves and, and be part of the team. So supporting transcending, um, which is transcending the word um, less the C. So it's transcending7.org um, without the C. 
And supporting those not just supports me, but it supports kind of these climbing nights, these queer climbing nights where we're trying to get people's, you know, more involved in, in moving their bodies and finding the joy in their bodies. Um, and also setting like doing, you know, these big, the, the narrative ch changing type of um, projects like I'm doing. So that's supporting transcending is a good way to do that. And we will put the link for all of those things in the show notes. And Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your voice with us today. We are going to be sending you all of the good vibes we can here in a few weeks as you tackle Denali. And we can't wait to follow along and see how it goes. Thank you. Thanks again for having me. Hey folks, Sarah and Sarah here from Feisty Media's If We Were Riding podcast. So Sarah, do you remember last year when we created the feistiest team in endurance sports? Oh, I remember. <laughs> it's a, okay, it's a team that faces challenges head on, understands the connection between mental and physical health, understands the value of a good laugh. We definitely understand that. Um, and aims to get the best out of ourselves and each other in sport and life. Yeah, so we've had a full year of virtual happy hours and expert talks, team challenges, awesome prizes, and swag. And we are ready to open the door for year two of the Feisty Team. We are relaunching officially, but that's not all. They wouldn't call us feisty if we didn't have something extra up our sleeves. <laughs> so this year, since racing is kicking off again, we decided to kick off even harder. On May 18th to 20th, we'll be hosting the Level Up Summit, which is three evenings of learning and fun to set the tone for 2021. At Level Up, we'll discuss everything you'll need to start your race season off with a bang. Work with your female physiology to get the best out of yourself and stay true to our community goal of creating a more inclusive sport. So when you sign up for the Feisty Team, you get access to the Level Up Summit for free. You can also sign up for the Summit separately if you wish, if you just want to get like a taste of what the Feisty Team is about. Head on over to FeistyTriathlon.com for all the deets. Yep, that's FeistyTriathlon.com, which is also a brand new website. Racing is back and together we will level up. Haley, have you ever been jealous of the elite running or cycling groups who are able to get their blood work done super quickly and efficiently because they have a doctor on staff? Yes, I have been jealous. I have a great primary care physician, but I'll admit, sometimes I'm curious about certain blood markers in between my annual doctor visits. Me too, and that's why I'm excited Inside Tracker is here. Inside Tracker is on-demand blood testing. You pick your plan online, schedule your blood draw appointment locally, and get your results within a few days. My favorite part, they don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips too. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off of their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com/ironwomen and get started. Thank you so much to Erin for coming on in the midst of the prep for her big climb ahead this month. Uh, and we will put a link to be able to support, uh, find out more and support the organization Transcending, which is a 501c3 designated nonprofit dedicated to the advancement of transgender rights throughout all aspects of society by promoting athletics as a platform of transgender awareness and inclusion. And if anyone does want to follow Aaron's like specific project, the seven summits project transcending seven on Instagram is, um, her account. And, you know, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll find out if she made that successful summit of Denali. And then if she's headed to Antarctica later this year, I mean, what, and then I think Everest next year, I mean, it's amazing. Like, um, 
I just, I can't imagine. I'm like, oh, I'm planning a trip to Antarctica. No big deal. But very, very cool. Very, and so nice of her to like share so much information with us today. All right, Haley. Well, I think that's all we have this week, but I'm so glad that you are getting some recovery time after St. George. Um, congratulations again on that swim course record on your, your finish. Uh, I'm excited that, you know, races are back, that you're back on the race course. Um, all of the things it's a, definitely a feel good week after seeing a lot of that, those results come in. Yes. I'll be recovering hard this week, Alyssa. And it was great to chat with you and I'll talk to you next week. Bye Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Prevenix, Zelio Skincare, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear. You can find all websites and discount codes in our show notes at ironwomenpodcast.com.